Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You know from that uh, familiar theme song that you are entering the steam room. It's presented by Tissot, the official watch of the NBA. Along with Charles Barkley, this is Ernie Johnson. We have been putting in some long days and nights over the last couple of weeks, boys and girls, with the March Madness. And now we're getting ready for the Final Four. And this this show is going to be a little Final Four heavy, so I hope you're a basketball fan, college hoop fan. How can you not be? hope, Hope your bracket is still recognizable. Chucksters is. Chuckster, you got a pretty good bracket going, man. I got three out of four. Final Four has been a good run for me, man. Hey, listen, I'm energized, man. I told you, this tournament, wow. This tournament is amazing. Um, this, th- there's some great stories out there. Some great stories out there. I mean, if you don't like watching the Gonzaga play, you don't like basketball. They're a machine. That's what I've said. I've always said about the about the tournament. I think, you know, it just, that's one of the great unifying things that's out there because you don't have to be a diehard basketball fan to be interested in it you can just be somebody who has a bracket and all of a sudden you get to the set and you're watching and you're talking about you know teams you never heard of before and rooting for them so all of a sudden even though you're not a college basketball fan you're you're saying hey i hope the mean green can handle it you know so it's i just think it's a great unifying factor in this country and it we need it It, we needed to have it back and and it's been great to have it back so all of that being said I'm not trying to take a first of all from you because that's the way we start every pod, but uh, go ahead. First of all, I could listen to that Mariah Carey song every day. First of all, I've met Rob Lowe a few times in my life. That's a pretty man. First of all, Christmas Carolyn is not a thing. First of all, I don't even think Kale's a thing. First of all, I, I've i never used cologne. Oh, come on. I'm man. serious. Well, you know, man, I just want to give a shout out to all the people who've been working this tournament. You know, all the people at Turner, you know, this is our first year that we haven't been up in New York with CBS. And, man, I just want to give a shout-out to everybody at Turner for just how hard they work. I mean, a couple of those 12-hour days. I mean, that's we're on air for 12 hours. They've probably been in the studio a lot longer than that. And I just want to tell them I really thank them for their hard work. I mean, there's some long, crazy days. And so I want to thank them. I want to get – I miss my friends up at CBS. Uh, they're doing a fabulous job. But, man, I just want to give a shout-out to the players. Uh, I cannot believe we made it all the way to the Final Four with, one, with only one cancellation. Just that VCU-Oregon game. But these kids, they I guess they've been listening to the protocols. Shout-out to all the doctors and people who are giving these kids tests and keeping them safe. We learned one thing about this pandemic, man. Our first responders are the most amazing people in the world. So shout out to all the first responders out there. But also, like I say, everybody who put this tournament together, and it never ceases to amaze me. Uh, It's fun every year. I love it. So thanks, everybody involved. And now we get to go to Indianapolis, flying up on Thursday. I'm so excited to go to Indian quarantine. And I love these little emails y'all send me. Ho, 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 ho. What do you mean y'all send me? 
I'm only receiving into those two. Ernie, you, I'm speaking to power right now, Ernie. You're the most powerful person at Turner. No, not even close. Uh, well, I love this email. You're restricted from going out to dinner. You're restricted from bars, even the hotel bar. You go from your hotel room to the game and back. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So that's what we got to do, though. I mean, that's they've been asking the college teams to do that for the entire tournament. I guess we can't go in there and, you know, you, who, why would we go in there and not do what we're supposed to do? Well, I think if you uh, listen, I'm a firm believer. You mask up and you try to live your life. You don't want people too close to you. But I, I, I'm i a firm believer. Hey, put on a mask. Everybody should wear a mask. Everybody should get vaccinated if you can. I got my first shot a couple of weeks ago. I cannot, I got like 10 days before I get the second shot. I had no side effect. But listen, this is conversation in the black community about whether we should get the vaccination or not. Listen, get the vaccination, please. Uh, this, this, this pandemic has had a, a negative effect on the black community and obviously people of color and poor people, more importantly. So if you get a chance to get the vaccination, please get it. I can't wait to get my second shot. And last and definitely not least, yo, NCAA, y'all got to do better, man. Y'all got to do better. Uh, you, you embarrass yourself with the inequities between the men's and the women's tournament. You, that can't happen. You know, I support you guys. I've always been a believer. You know, I'm not going to be one of these talking heads on television who say, we're screwing these kids. We're making all this money. That's because, number one, I told you, I don't want anybody telling black kids getting a free education is nothing. I want to repeat that. I hate when I hear people on television say, hey, we're screwing these kids. They're not getting anything but a free education. Hey, 99.9% of these kids, they're going to need that free education to be successful in life. Less than 1% of these guys and girls going to go pro. I want these kids to get that free education. That being said, NCAA, we got to make sure that we take care of these kids the best way possible the best way possible. Got to get them good medical care. But the main thing we got to be, we got to make sure that we don't have the situation like the weight rooms. You know, I, I'm not going to go crazy over the quote unquote, the swag bag, but you can, if you're going to give away swag bags, you got to at least make it fair and competitive. So that that's my last rant. Cause like I say, man, these kids worked their behind off, but we should take care of them. But I don't want to hear guys on television time, but Hey, Giving them a free education is nothing. So next stop, Indianapolis for us. And um, and we're going to have to figure out a way to um, maybe uh, they have takeout uh, or we'll have to have it delivered. I don't I, you know, I don't know how we uh, how we go about getting something from St. Elmo's, man. Yeah, we got to get one of those steaks. I mean, I know you were you worried about the shrimp cocktail. I'm not worried about the shrimp cocktail. I just love the shrimp cocktail. <laughs> it doesn't worry me at all. You know, you're the only man in the world to go to one of the best steakhouses in the world, and you're worried about the shrimp. No, uh, no, you obviously you have a steak, but that's the appetizer, man. Oh, you go shrimp as big as your head, and that hot sauce is unbelievable. That cocktail sauce, oh my goodness, that the one that get, get, goes up your nose, right? Oh, I mean to tell you, I yeah. mean to tell you, that stuff is that stuff is no joke. Can't wait to get there. We're flying up together tomorrow. Me and you get to pal around. You and I get to pal around, man. First of all, nobody used to word pal around, but you, Ernie. Yeah, and we'll go to Orange Julius, maybe, if, if the flight's <laughs> delayed. You and me. Can't wait. Can't wait. We got a super special guest uh, waiting on deck here on the steam room. Wait, you're not going to tell me who it is? No. 
This is a total surprise for you. Oh, okay. I, I found that's the best way to handle the steam room. Surprise the Chuckster. Just like you were surprised by the Loki bracelet <laughs> that one day. Anyway, we'll be back. Welcome back to the steam room. Chuckster, look at this. Wow! How about you? <laughs> we are so happy. We are so proud. I cannot believe this. The great Bill Walton. What a surprise for the Chuckster. Yeah, we, we sprung this one on you, man. What a nice surprise. A matter of hours after the uh, UCLA Bruins clinch their spot in the final four. Bill, congrats, man, and thanks for being with us, man. I am honored to be on this remarkable program here. I do not believe that we can start a show of this epic magnitude and historical proportion without a quick and brief poem from Ernie. Okay. Okay. Here in the steam room, we have few rules. Keep on your towel. We don't want to see your jewels. Oh, my. Very nice. No, I'm fully clothed. Okay, good. And I am ready to go. And I'm going to lay out three songs to get this show going here. Not fade away. I'm going to tell you how it's going to be. Lost sailor into state of circumstance. Sure don't know what I'm going for, but I'm going to go for it for sure. I used to be a lost sailor away too long at sea. Now I'm a tiger in a trance, a state of circumstance. There's no time to lose. And then... When I paint my masterpiece, the streets of Indy are filled with rubble. Ancient footprints are everywhere. You'd almost think that we're seeing double on this beautiful run to the title in Indiana. Oh, the hours I've spent inside the Coliseum, dodging lions and wasting time. Those mighty kings of the jungle, I can hardly stand to see them. It sure has been. A long, hard climb. When I paint my masterpiece, Charles Barkley, I salute you, Charles. I thank you. I pay my respect and my acknowledgement because besides all the incredible things you know you do, what you are able to inspire in other people to come and enjoy and love and have fun with this great sport of basketball, a basketball that has given so many so much, but with your joy, with your sense of reality, with your sense of hope and optimism and authenticity and currency and relevancy, you have brought countless, countless millions, maybe even billions of people into our sphere of joy and success and happiness and hope and optimism and all those things. So Charles, yes. Thank you. Thank you for the kind words. Thank you, Times Infinity for Eternity. <laughs> uh, thank you, my friend. Hey, you know, let me ask you my first question. They said that the first thing Coach Cronin did when he got the job was to bring back the older players to be around today's players. Is that true? Yes. He bought a very nice home in Encino, just down the street of where John Wooden used to. Now, John Wooden... I don't know, Charles, if you ever made it there. I'm sure Ernie made it there to the mansion on Margate, at least at some point. But he, Coach Wooden lived in a, a two-bedroom condo on the second floor, just off the alley there. <laughs> it was on Margate. We called it the mansion on Margate. Granted, Coach Wooden's highest salary ever at UCLA was $32,500. And 
because of people like you two, the economics of sports business has just skyrocketed, including coaches' salaries. And so Coach Cronin has this very nice house on this beautiful street in the flats of Encino. And he immediately reached out to all the alumni and said, please come over to the house and let me welcome you and let me let me introduce myself. So everybody showed up and it was a fantastic time. I'll send you some pictures of the night. And it, it was absolutely incredible. Lasted for a really long time. It was a hot summer day. And uh, the end of the evening, the only people left were Lucius Allen, Mike Warren, Mick Cronin, Lori, and me. And we just <laughs> stayed up all night long out under the moon. And it was just a, a wonderful time. And he has done a tremendous job Mick Cronin has. And well, the, the second thing he did was that when, when he was able to get the team together, this was pre-pandemic, he called up Kareem, the greatest of them all. And he said, Kareem, will you come and speak to the team? And so Kareem came in and just gave a fantastic presentation as he always does. And he just explained to him what it was like to be a part of something so special with the history and the tradition and the legacy and the, and the opportunities that, that a school like UCLA in a community like Los Angeles in a state like California in a country like the United States. And these guys, they just swelled with pride. Now, it didn't work at the beginning. Things turned around on January 15th, 2020, about, about 14 months ago, just at, a, at the beginning of the conference seasons before the pandemic started. And the Bruins were playing terrible. They, they had, were, were losing to all these unbelievably bad teams. <laughs> and they're playing with no spark, no spirit, no style, no anything. And Stanford, a good team, great program there, tremendous history of their own, a top coach in Jared Haas, Oscar De Silva, they come into Poly Pavilion and they run the Bruins off their home court Poly Pavilion. And Mick Cronin, he just lost it. He challenged each and every one of those guys. And he looked at them and he called them out. And he demanded accountability, he demanded responsibility or, hey, I'm not even going to give you guys any jerseys. I'm not even going to give you uniforms. I'm not going to let you practice at all. So what's it going to be? And to their credit, because they could have quit. They could have walked away. And some of them did. But the vast majority of them, they stayed. And they gave it another chance. And ever since that moment, they have been virtually unbeatable. And it's just a, a remarkable thing. It's really one of the greatest stories ever told. We needed a miracle, and we got one. Now, do you go crazy when you're watching the game? I mean, how animated are you in your own, you know, den or your living room watching this game? It depends on how they're playing. But I'm that way with every game. And I've watched all the games. One of the things about the pandemic is that it's taken all of us off the airplanes. And so where we all used to fly literally every day that we weren't on the air, on the show. Right. And so... Now we get to watch literally every one of these games. And it's just been so fun and spectacular because it's brought back so many different memories, including the fact that 56 years ago, this month in March of 1965, I watched my very first televised basketball game. I was 12 years old. I was following basketball through the newspaper and on the radio. We grew up in a house without a television set. But one of my friends down the street, he had a TV. And in March of 1965, 
UCLA and Michigan played in the championship game. And here it was. That's right. And UCLA was the defending champion, but they had lost Walt Hazard, who was a combination of Magic Johnson and Martin Luther King. And they still had a lot of good players, but they didn't have Walt, who was the best player in the country, player of the year, champion, undefeated season. And Michigan now had that mantle. They had Cassie Russell, and they were the Big Ten, and they were big, tough, physical bruisers. Now, I had read about these teams, and I had listened about these teams on the radio, but I had never seen them. And when they came on the TV, I was stunned. I was staggered because the Michigan team with Cassie and all his teammates, they were all built like Baylor is today. They were built like Charles Barkley, just big, tough, physical, powerful dudes. And then they introduced UCLA with Gail Goodrich and, and Keith Erickson and Kenny Washington and Freddie Goss and all these little skinny, scrawny guys, right? And I looked at that TV as a 12-year-old, wide-eyed. I said, UCLA has no chance here. These guys are just too big and too strong. And the game started and UCLA played like Gonzaga plays right now. And it was just a thing of beauty. I was just awestruck and overwhelmed with the talent level, with the physical fitness. Gail Goodrich went for a championship game record, 42 points in that game. And little Billy from San Diego with his then red hair and his freckles and his big nose and his goofy, nerdy looking <laughs> face and his horrendous speech impediment. I just, I told myself that day, that's what I want to do with the rest of my life. And so when I sat there last night in the game and I'm watching and Juwan Howard, who I've known forever, and to see Jalen Rose in the crowd and all the, and the campy Russells of the world and the incredible legacy of that remarkable school, Michigan, and what they have been able to do. And John Wooden's relationship to the Big Ten, all the awards he received uh, over the course of his 99 years, the one he treasured and prized the most was the Big Ten Medal of Honor, which went to the senior top scholar athlete in the Big Ten. And that was the one he always pointed to as the one that meant the most to him. So I, I knew how important this game was. The fate of the known world was in the balance. And Michigan had just completely destroyed Florida State. And I was a big Florida State fan going into that game. And then, wow, I just Michigan was just beautiful. And their ability to overcome the adversity and losing livers and everything. And the big guy, Hunter, I don't believe he's related to Hunter Thompson. And so here was a situation. <laughs> situation where it was all looking great for Michigan and then little UCLA what they do is they control the tempo and they make the other team play their game and it, it, it's really the Charles Barkley story because Charles the, the most unlikely I mean to come yes Auburn tremendous NCAA first ever appearance for uh, the, the War Eagle down there when Charles was there and, and the, the joy and happiness that he brought and the surprise and the explosiveness and everything. And, but he was always outsized, but never in his heart and never in his brain. And when Charles was on Houston with Akeem and Clyde and all those great teams, when Charles was on Phoenix with KJ and, 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 all, and Danny and all those great players, you, you can never measure what's inside of a person. And that's what makes basketball the most perfect game of all, because the little guys can win. The three most important games in the history of college basketball. In 1957, when Wilt lost, and somebody showed that Wilt could be beaten. 
1968 at the Astrodome, the Houston Cougars and Big E, somebody showed that Kareem could be beaten. And then in 85, in the finals, when Villanova took down Georgetown and Patrick, somebody showed that Patrick Ewing and Georgetown could be beaten. And that gives hope to everybody. And that's what your show and that's what college basketball is all about. People chasing their dreams, trying to build a life, trying to create something for themselves. And it has just been so much fun. And I I am just on cloud 17 right now. <laughs> Bill, were you always going to go to UCLA? Oh, yes. I, I was John Wooden's easiest recruit. I was I became his worst nightmare. And then I drove the poor guy to an early grave at 99. Because I always wanted to know why. You know, why I had to cut my hair, uh, why I had to shave. I still don't have to shave. Jamal Wilkes and I, we still don't have to shave, and we're 68 years old. But my coach wouldn't have to shave, shave every day. Why I had to wear the clothes he wanted us to wear. And, you know, I'm a California beach guy. You know, we're T-shirts, shorts, and, and tennis shoes. And then I wanted to know why Nixon was president and why we were in Vietnam and why the cheerleaders couldn't be in my hotel room on the on the road and, and he would look at me this was his look because he was an english teacher by profession that's what that's what he really loved you know he he did the sports stuff because you know because he could make more money at it than as an english teacher bill let me ask you this question then what was his message uh at the end of the day for all that stuff he why did he make you dress a certain way shave cut your hair and everything he took his job very seriously. He, he knew that as the leader, as the coach, as the man responsible, as the man in charge, that what his task was to make us better basketball players, more importantly, to make us better human beings. Now, at the end of the day, you could say you know, all the things he taught us, the pyramid of success, the seven-point creed, the two sets of threes, the endless maxims, the tools to overcome adversity, all the different things, how to play basketball, how to become great. But you can capsulize it in one sentence. He taught us how to learn and he taught us how to compete because everything was about competition. Everything was about making us great. It was truly remarkable because I've played for the best of the best coaches. I've had the dream life. I've had every chance possible. Now, I'm not like you, Charles. I didn't grow up with a silver spoon in Leeds, but I did grow up in San Diego, where we do have some nice things going. But to have played every teacher and every coach I had as a child, every one of them was a John Wooden disciple. The voice in all of our ears, today's voice is Ernie Johnson and what he means to so many people. That voice in all of our ears in this incredible megalopolis of Southern California, that voice was Chick Hearn, who was this remarkable fount of spirit and joy and love, and we get to play basketball today. And then I had the greatest parents ever. My heroes as a child were Bill Russell and Muhammad Ali in sports, who stood for more than stuff who stood for you know, ideals and goals and lifting the team together and pulling the community together, the fight that we're still living today. I had Bobby Kennedy and I had Martin Luther King and I had Sergeant Shriver and then I had all the musicians who were still out there singing today. And it was just absolutely fantastic. I lived my dream and then Coach Wooden said, I've had enough, I'm out of here. And we were mad as can be. We were mad as can be because this was a guy who gave so much of his life. We did not realize... Because, Charles, 
you have had a more impactful life since you stopped praying because you, you reach so many more people now. Now, I, I remember when I, I was the broadcaster through the 90s and you would sit in your locker and there would be a, a, a crowd. It was like an autograph session party where, where you would sit in your locker and, and there would be 50 reporters standing there listening to you go on to these rants and these diatribes and everything. And it was just, it was the antithesis of, of what I grew up with because I'm a lifelong stutterer. I could not say a word till I was 28. Learning how to speak is my greatest accomplishment in life and your worst nightmare. <laughs> but as we were playing, you also had this incredible aura as the player on the court. A lot of people are really good basketball players, but the, the ability for you to just like what coach Wooden did, because when coach Wooden stopped coaching basketball, he only coached, 12 players at a time. He, he never coached the past. He never coached the future. He coached the 12 guys on the team. You were playing on your team, but now you're teaching the world. And, and that's what John Wooden did for the last 36 years of his life. And of the 43 year relationship that I had with him, those were by far the most interesting years. Hey, Bill, I got a question for you. This is going to sound a little random. If basketball were taken away, just if, if basketball were not a part of your life, where would the greatest joy in your life be? If I wasn't a basketball player, I, I would I would try my best to be in a rock and roll band and to be on the tour <laughs> and to be out there because I love the crowds and I love the people and I love the show and I love the moment and I love the preparation in the locker room. Michael Jordan, you know, who we had the privilege of calling all his, and I, I had the privilege, I was the broadcaster for the NBA for 18 years. And it was so fun and such a thrill and a privilege to learn from then all these incredible legends, I'm not even going to try to list them because there's so many of them. And so I, I asked Michael, I said, Michael, how much time do you spend on the spectacular? On all the, because, you know, Michael's one of those guys who just really changed the direction of basketball in terms of everything being off the pass to now everything being off the dribble. And I, I think that generally hurts the overall quality of play because there's only a couple of guys like Michael. You know, there's Kobe and then there's LeBron. Kareem could score off his own dribble. But if you want to win consistently, you got to play like the way Gonzaga plays, which is move that ball and be in shape. And don't, don't try to have somebody create their own shot against incredible defenders by themselves. When if you have a guy who can handle it up top and you're coming off a screen like a Reggie Miller or a Ray Allen or all these guys who were just fantastic shooters on the catch, that was the kind of ball that we grew up playing. And Michael changed all that to off the dribble. So I said, Michael, how much time do you spend on those fantastic, spectacular plays that are indescribable? And he looked at me like I was crazy. And he said, well, I don't spend a second on any of that. I spend all my time on my fundamentals, on my footwork, on my foundation, on my physical fitness. But what I really spend my time on is the dream, the dream of looking around and who I have, who they have, and how we're going to win. And, and, and that's what I, I love the strategizing. If I was going to be in a rock and roll band, we'd be strategizing how can we move this forward? How can we 
change people's way of thinking? How can we change the way people look at things, the way that, that, that Charles has done, and the way he's always able to throw in these little, these little nuggets? Like, I have no idea who that family was you were mentioning on the very last sign-off, last night's show, but I got to find out and see what's going on in their life to see what we can do to help lift the burden and ease the pain, because that's what teams do. And when you have spent so much time, I've been to 3,500, 4,000 rock and roll concerts. There's nothing like them, man, other than playing basketball out there. But I haven't been able to play basketball in 35 years. You know, I, I can't run. I can't walk. I can ride my bike. I can go in the water in the pool, and I can go in the weight room all the time. And it's just, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. And then I get to watch this incredible tournament and see this UCLA team, to see Gonzaga, to see Houston, which has so much impact in my own life and then to see Baylor which I know the Drew family very well but with the Houston with the Houston team you know that was the team that UCLA and Kareem had to beat every year and I've been a little disappointed in the in, in the broadcasts in that they deservedly talk about Akeem and Clyde and Guy Lewis but they don't talk about the foundation that Elvin Hayes built for them and, and Elvin Hayes who came to San Diego in his rookie year I started playing against NBA players when I was 14 years old. It was 1967. The Rockets expanded into San Diego, and I had a key to our high school gym. So I knew all the players. And from the very first year, uh, when, when they had Jim Barnett and Pat Riley and John Block and Don Kojis, soon to be joined by Elvin Hayes, Rudy Tomjanovich, Calvin Murphy, Stu Lance. And so here's 14-year-old little Billy with John Wooden and Chick Hearn and then all those guys. And Elvin Hayes could not have been nicer to me as a little tiny child growing up. But to play against Elvin Hayes when I'm 14 years old, oh my gosh. And he, and he was just like Wilt. They were just so kind and so encouraging. And, and, and I, when, when I see Charles out in the world, that's what I see because the people flock to Charles. You know, they love him because they see him all the time and, and they see their lives in Charles and Charles speaks up for people. And that's what all those, that's what all my heroes have always done. I just love hearing these stories. I mean, the names you have mentioned, and you mentioned them like they're just regular guys. You're naming some of the greatest basketball players. Charles, that's the life I grew up with because my parents had zero interest in sports. Zero. Never shot a basket with my dad. Saw him run one time at the church picnic and fell over laughing. But uh, <laughs> greatest parents, but no interest in sports. And then between my first coach, Rocky, and then Chick Hearn and John Wooden and all my teachers, everything was about excellence. Everything was about the search for perfection and that standard of excellence that Gonzaga is up right now with and how they play every single day. And so that was my world. And then I got to play for John Wooden and to, to be at college at UCLA in the early 1970s. Are you kidding? We had the time of our lives every night, all day long with the greatest professors, all afternoon with John Wooden. And then every night, Every night on Sunset Boulevard or at the concert venues all over town, there'd be an incredible rock and roll show every single night. And then on Friday and Saturday nights, we would play ball. And the Lakers were just killing it at the time with Jerry and Elgin and Wilt and Gale and all these different players. And Bill Sharman became the coach. And we had our team. They would come to our games. We would go to their games. It was like one big giant team and happy family. And, and that was my life. 
as we go back and we put all the things together uh, and, and how the harmonic convergence of the, this UCLA Gonzaga game. So we're fans. Maury went to UCLA. My older brother went to UCLA. All our friends went to UCLA. One of our daughters went to UCLA. I mean, we are UCLA Pac-12 Conference of Champions players. And so when the Bruins were on a good run in 2006 in the NCAA tournament, we went to the game up in Oakland, and they were going to play Gonzaga. And so Gonzaga has the better team, and they're killing UCLA. And Adam Morrison is just having the game of his life. He's just playing perfect, right? And then we're sitting there. We're kind of like, okay, should we leave? If, if, if we leave now, they're going to put us on TV, but walking out on our own team here, right? And so we stayed. And in the last couple of minutes, UCLA scores the last 11 points of the game and wins the game at the very last play. And that's it! What a comeback! UCLA defeats Gonzaga 73-71 after being down by 17. We're looking at each other saying, did that really happen? And Adam, poor Adam, is a great friend and just a remarkable human being. And so sorry that he tore up his knee. But he and Luke and Richard Jefferson and all the family friends are all close as can be. And so the game is over. We are high as we can possibly be and so excited that the way the Bruins finished out this game. But everything in Oakland was closed. And so we ended up at a Mexican restaurant in the Mission District of San Francisco. And they had a mariachi band, which throughout the night, we taught the mariachi band how to play the UCLA fight song. We did not get to bed before the dawn that day. Bill, any chance you're going to get to Indianapolis for this? No, I wish. I wish I were coming because I love the final four and I love all the aspects of it. And I love college basketball and I love the job that you guys are doing. I will be in Los Angeles at the Westwood one radio studio stations. Uh, Jim Gray and I, we do the studio show for the uh, Westwood one broadcast of the games, but I'll be watching And uh, Saturday night. We have to make our travel plans because Friday night is the women's final four. South Carolina versus Stanford. Oh, my gosh. And then Arizona. Adia Barnes, she's from San Diego. We've known her forever. And then Gino is absolutely magnificent. So we'll watch the games Friday night, drive up late, work the games on Saturday, stay Sunday, uh, maybe see some friends. But, you know, the lockdown, I've had my shots. I've had my, uh, my vaccinations. And so, you know, things are starting to open up. I'm hosting the opening day for the Padres tomorrow down at Petco Park. And so it's just <laughs> going to be fantastic. Look, I know you're going to have a million requests today. People want to talk to you about the Conference of Champions and UCLA's uh, spot in the Final Four. I'm so grateful to I want to talk about Ernie Johnson and I want to talk about Charles Barkley. I'm so grateful that you made time for us. We really do appreciate it, Bill. It's always great talking to you. And uh, and it, it's a big surprise for Chuckster. We didn't tell him this was happening. Hey, this was a great surprise. Hey, Bill, it's always good to talk to you. Congratulations on your Bruins. And good luck this weekend, my friend. I know that it had to be a surprise because if Charles knew I was coming on, he would have called in sick. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, give Lori our best too. I will. Your family's good health, good everything. And please keep delivering the message. You have no idea how important that is. The way you bring it and the way people anticipate and look forward. Anticipation and the hope and dream that tomorrow's going to be better. You guys make the fight to get to tomorrow worth it. 
Thank you for your kindness, generosity, patience, and my life. And Ernie, it's impossible to be a better human being than you. I love Charles Barkley. I love Ernie Johnson. Love you too, man. Thank you, Bill. You're the greatest. Welcome back to the Steam Room, everybody. Ernie Johnson, along with Charles Barkley. You know, we did things a little different this year uh, as in, in terms of March Madness uh, and our coverage on CBS, TBS, TNT, and True TV. Normally, Chuckster, you and I and Kenny, uh, we would go up to uh, New York. You guys would stay there for a couple of weeks. I'd do a week and come back. But this year, we just stayed in Atlanta. And uh, it was a little different feel, wasn't it? It was a little different feel, but I will tell you, it, working with Andy, and I'm not blowing smoke up his ass, not that that wouldn't be fun. For who? I thought it was really cool to have somebody so inside, to have access to all these coaches. Well, I thought brought a lot to the table. And I really enjoyed working with Andy because, like I say, we don't know any of these coaches personally, but to have all these coaches on the speed dial and have the referees on the speed dial, I mean, I thought he brought a lot to the table. Yeah, that's a great intro for our next guest on the Steam Room. That's Andy Katz, the insider from NCAA.com. And we had a blast with you, man. It was really fun, really fun working with you. Now, here we go to the to the final four. So what's been your biggest takeaway from the tournament? Well, first of all, uh, you know, I'm going to, if you want to just sort of add an extra seat uh, and, you know, push anyone else off, that's fine, too. <laughs> I'll wave to you, I guess, from inside Lucas Oil. As I said on the air, I'm deeply appreciative of the two of you, of Kenny of TK, of Jeremy, of everyone at Turner. Eight years of Obama brackets, I thought it couldn't be topped. This topped it. Oh, come on. And uh, it was definitely a, a highlight, and I hope it's only the beginning as a precursor. So I, I would say to me, number one, Gonzaga, better than we thought, uh, and I watched them a lot this season. They just offensively and defensively, as we talked about, they're just clicking at a higher level than I don't think we've seen in years. You know, this pandemic changed teams during the course of the season. And for Baylor, I remember talking to Scott Drew about this, that if you ever were going to get it, you know, they sort of got it at the almost the last possible time that it would be okay to get, you know, the virus. I hate to use, use that because really had it been maybe even a week or two later, I don't know if Baylor would be here because it really took yeah. them a couple of weeks to get going. Uh, and now I feel like they're back to kind of what they were before, but they really were on that line, getting it in early February and being sidelined for almost three weeks because any later, and that really could have disrupted their run. Whereas Gonzaga, they went through their pause in December and they've been a machine really ever since. And, and they showed no sign because their first game after their pause, um, they played Iowa on a day's practice up in South Dakota and blitzed the Hawkeyes. So they're just so good that they weren't disrupted by that. And then obviously we had some great moments, great players that have popped up out of nowhere. Uh, as much as I follow this, uh, I have to admit, I didn't know Tanner Groves. Uh, so if, I, if, if you had played that game with me, who does he play for? And I saw a picture of Tanner Groves, I wouldn't have known. But I did know Max Aismas. I didn't know how to pronounce his name because I butchered that at the beginning of the tournament. Clearly, you know, he made a name for himself as well as Kevin O'Banner and so Oral Roberts was a great story as well. Well, I just want to say this, Andy. Clearly, you have not watched the steam room often. When I say, first of all, and I say like seven things, you just topped it. You said, 
<laughs> he says, you know, yeah. so that was a very good way to join the steam room. Hey, you know, for me, Andy, I'll be honest with you. We've been doing this thing a, a few years now, and it never lets me down. Like every year, I tell people, I've been to the Olympics, which is the greatest sporting event in the world. But every year that we do Mars Madness, like to watch Gonzaga play, you, if you're a basketball fan, you got to love what they're accomplishing. And same thing with UCLA. Like that's the beauty of this tournament. No disrespect to Houston. I mean, think about it. Actually, you, you want to say Houston, how about the redemption of Kevin Sampson? I mean, who was exiled, went to the NBA for a bunch of years and came back and he's there. And obviously Scott Drew and Baylor, that's a great story. But there's always some amazing about this tournament that you just like, wow, I can't believe this. Well, and I just want to say this, that I was worried about the lack of crowds. Uh, I know there's been some fans and you can hear them. But during the regular season, I mean, it was just like almost closed scrimmages. But we still had exciting games at times. But that's also been a credit to these players that as soon as that ball is thrown up, it has felt like an intense NCAA tournament game in front of 20,000, 70,000, you know, for the players. Obviously, it's not the same, but they have provided that energy and enthusiasm that I wasn't sure would be there, and it definitely has been. How many are going to be in there on Saturday? How many fans? What I was told is they were going to mirror the Colts, and the Colts had around 12,000 fans percentage-wise for their games in the fall because it holds 70,000. So we'll see if that happens. You know, to some extent, we've seen sometimes where, and I think this just happened with a, um, with a spring training game with the Rangers, where they say we're open, you know, full. I mean, that's not the case here, but not everyone shows up. Not everyone's comfortable yet. Yeah. So we shall see, you know, how many show up if they do reach that maximum. Look, any fans, and there was a game earlier this year at North Carolina, the first game, actually earlier, just a couple of weeks ago, the first game they were allowed fans toward the end of the year. And it was maybe a couple thousand, and yet they just brought great energy that, uh, you know, helped Carolina in that particular game. And so having any kind of noise instead of the piped-in noise will help. Yeah, because, Chuck, you know, you and I have talked about it before, too, how much we enjoy that one day of the of the uh, sporting calendar. I mean, there's nothing like it. And, Andy, you know that when you've got four teams in one city and you've got 70, 75,000 fans and everybody's mingling, and, I mean, that that goes into making that, such a special day. And and so it's going to be a little bit of a different feel. Obviously it's not going to be that shoulder to shoulder, you know, every time you turn around, you see somebody's school colors. I mean, it, that's what makes that weekend in part so special. Don't you think Chuck? Yeah. And, and for me, what I'm going to miss is just walking around and seeing all the fans. I mean, yeah. you know, like that, that Thursday, Friday and early and Saturday, because the games don't start to Saturday night. Just seeing all the bright colors walking around, people so full of joy and excitement before the game starts, you know, I'm going to miss that. I mean, I mean, obviously we're going to be in a bubble-type situation, but, man, I, I tell people, the Saturday at the Final Four is one of the coolest things I've ever experienced in my life. It's like Disneyland. It really, it, in, in a way, it's like when you go to Disney World, you know, and it's like the whole rest of the world is kind of, left behind because this atmosphere is so different. It's that way on that Saturday too, when, and that when you have all those fans and then after that first game, then you see fans trying to sell their tickets to somebody who needs them for the, for Monday night, you know, yes. 
that's part of the whole ru- the whole routine, Andy. While they're not having that fanfare when they go back in between each round to their campus and the chaos of that and maybe disruptions and, and you got to get everyone locked in. On the other side, they are so together that there are no disruptions, that they're more locked in than ever. And it's also, uh, I mean, obviously, Chuck, you've been on, you know, some of the best teams in the world, um, that this group, you know, has become closer than he thinks any team has ever been because they're spending literally 24-7 together. He says that their floor at the hotel is like a frat house, you know, with, you know, laundry and, and so on, because it's literally only them on the floor all the time. You know, I, I asked you this question, and actually one fan uh, tweeted about it. He says, having every team in the same city is one has been one of the coolest things he's ever watched and loved. Do you think there's any chance, I know your answer already, but I want you to say it to the, to the podcast viewers, any chance we can make this a habit of having a tournament in one city? I, I do think it could happen. I don't think it'll happen immediately, but I also would say that there are only certain cities that can pull it off. Um, because you need enough arenas. And so, for example, next year, the Final Four is in New Orleans. I I can't see New Orleans being able to pull that off because they did stretch it a little with using Indiana and Purdue in the early rounds, but everyone stayed in Indy and they bust back and forth. You know, could they pull it off in Atlanta? Are there at least four to five venues? Maybe that might be pushing it. Um, Obviously, they can in Indy. Uh, Be honest, I'll tell you, you could pull it off in L.A., and I do think that we will see a Final Four in the new football stadium in L.A. the next time around. You know, I, I think there's going to be a Final Four in Vegas at some point, but the problem in Vegas is you have thousands of high school gyms, but you don't have, like, arenas. You only have Thomas and Mac and T-Mobile. You could use the new Raider Stadium. No, no, that's where I think the Final Four will be. Okay. You know, I'm talking about early. Do you have – you know, somewhere at least four to six or four to five arenas to play all the early rounds. That's what I think that you may not have. But I do think it's something that's going to be discussed. I also will not be surprised. Something Val Ackerman, the Big East commissioner, proposed, which is at some point, do they merge the two tournaments and have the men and the women playing in the same place? That could happen at some point. You know, years ago in Atlanta, and this was actually the plan, had we had the Final Four in 20 in Atlanta, was they had divisions one, two, and three for the men in the same city, which I thought was great. They did it years ago in Atlanta, and that'd be great to do that too. And then you just have basically a, a basketball, you know, um, just festival, if you will, yeah. the men and the women, which I think would be wonderful. Let's get out of here with your, uh, with your cat's ranks. What you got? All right, so I'll be interested to see if you agree with me on this. I'll just run through this top 10 real quick. Uh, these were to, this, to the final four. My top 10 individual performances. Uh, at 10, I went with Luca Garza. Uh, he had 36 in their second round loss uh, to Oregon. Likely will be the nation's player of the year. Then I went Ethan Thompson against Oklahoma State. He had 26. Then McKinley Wright. I loved his line against Georgetown. 12 points, 13 assists, zero turnovers. Then Buddy Beheim, 30 against San Diego State. He had seven threes. Jaime Jaquez against Michigan State in that first four. He had 27. Played all 45 minutes. That was an overtime game. Then I went Timmy against Oklahoma. He had 30 and 13. And then my top four, both from the same game in, in four and three, Aismas from Oral Roberts against Ohio State at 29. O'Banner, Kevin O'Banner from Oral Roberts had 30 and 11 against Ohio State. And then my top two were on, on what day was it? Tuesday, Elite Eight, Jalen Suggs, 
18 with 10 boards, eight assists against USC for Gonzaga. And then number one, Johnny Juzang for UCLA, 28, 11 and 19, carrying UCLA to the final four almost by himself. Any disputes with that, Charles? That geez, that sounds that sounds like a pretty complete well, well, list. I don't listen, think he left much out there. Well, one and two, there's no debate there. Uh, th- those two guys led their team. Uh, it, uh, uh, but after that, hey, listen, it's, it's been a lot of great performances in this tournament. Tanner Groves didn't make the top ten. I debated on Tanner Groves, but they didn't win a game. And so I, I extended the list down. I would have included him. Yeah, but listen, uh, Jazang, John, Johnny Jazang, Juzang, Juzang. Juzang and Mr. <laughs> Suggs, what they did last night was very impressive. <laughs> yeah, and hey, listen, if I had a family friend, I would know who it was. I'm not a dumbass <laughs> like Kitty. Like, hey, I know that guy. That's Jazang's dad. Oh, they're related. Yeah. But hey, hey, Andy, welcome to our world. Thank you. What's your what's your podcast, Andy? March Madness three sixty five. Nice easy name to remember. Very good, very good. Check it out, folks, and thank you. You do that every week. Every week, man. You should have Charles on. Give me some of the people you've had on your podcast. I mean, obviously, big names in the sport from Coach K on down. You know, just sort of mix it up. Obviously, the newsmakers, you know, of the time period, you know, every player that, uh, you know, from Garza. And, and every year, obviously, it's changed. You know, we just try to keep it going all year round uh, in the Mark Manis Turner Sports family. The, who's the, the sleeper best hired this offseason? That is a really good question. I do like Penn State hiring Micah Shrewsbury, who was on Brad Stevens' staff with the Celtics. Uh, and then he went to Purdue under Matt Painter. I think that will definitely be a good hire. Uh, and I'll be honest, I actually think Shaka Smart at Marquette is a better fit for Shaka at Marquette like he was at VCU than he was at Texas. I think he'll have more success at Marquette than he did at Texas. Marquette actually is a better job than people think. It is heavily funded. Very good. Well, he he didn't win a game at Texas in the tournament, so once he win one game, he'll do a better job. Well, when little old Abilene Christian beat the University of Texas. Yeah, yeah exactly. Hey, Andy Katz, thank you so much, man. It's uh, It's been a pleasure having you on the pod, and it's also been great working with you, putting in some long days and nights over those first two weeks, and uh, uh, it was our pleasure, man. Our pleasure. Having me. Like I said, hopefully I'm not a stranger. No, you will not be. Hey, you won't be a stranger. We'll see you at the Final Four, brother. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Andy. Back here with the final segment of uh, the Steam Room, presented by TSO, official watch of the NBA. 404-987-0330 is the number for Chuck's answering machine, which is how we close out every episode of the steam room. Um, and we've been amazed at some of the calls that we've gotten. Uh, haven't we Chuckster? Because not only who they're coming from, but where they're coming from. Unbelievable. I cannot believe people actually pay us attention in foreign countries. That's unbelievable. Cause you got it. We have to have a standard. Not everybody who calls Chuck's answering machine is going to make it on the pod. And sometimes it's a no function question. of time. No and sometimes it's just a function of why this call has to be on. So here it is. You've reached Charles Barkley. Leave a message, America. Hey there, Mr. Barkley or Sir Charles. It's Tomas. I'm calling from Naples, Italy. I have a couple of questions. I wonder if you ever visited Naples or Capri or Pompeii. 
And the second question is, what's your favorite Italian food besides pizza? All right. Love you guys' show. Um, when I go to the steam room, it's commando style, but that's the Mediterranean way. Uh, by the way, uh, just put this at the end so that you can cut it if you want. I know you're a fan of Russell Crowe, and I played Quintus in uh, Gladiator, Tomas Arena. Lots of love to all of you guys, to Ernie, to uh, Charles, and uh, really appreciate your show. It keeps a lonely man abroad very much company. All right. Wow. How about that, Chuckster? Wow. That's pretty that's one awesome of the coolest, right there. That's one of the coolest calls we've had. That's man. one of the coolest calls. And, man, what an unbelievable movie. Want to see a little clip? Is that what he says, Quintus, why are you armed? I think that's the... He sees, I think he's, I think if I remember that movie where he says, Quintus, why are you armed? But here's a clip. Quintus, sword! Give me your sword! Sword, give me your sword! Sheed your sword! Yes. yes. Yes, Chuckster. Hey, you know what, man? That was really cool of him to take the time uh, out, out of his life. And so he said he's from Naples. That's what he said. Yeah. I, you know, I've been to Italy. I can't remember if I went to Naples or not. It was so, it was probably over 20 years ago. I, I enjoyed Italy. It's my favorite uh, trip of all time. I, Cheryl Ann and I went for our 25th wedding anniversary and spent a couple weeks over there, man. That's awesome. It's, that was the best. Now, to answer his question, man, I would have to say uh, pasta is probably my favorite meal. Uh, I've actually, in the studio the last two nights, I've had pasta and meatballs uh, because they were so good. What, what kind of pasta? Uh, I like penne. The little bow ties are good, too, but penne is probably my favorite. And, man, let me tell you something. I love meatballs, man. <laughs> I love me some meatballs. I'm not gonna lie. I do. If you get if you get to a place and they have great meatballs, I just think you gotta. Uh, especially, uh, I say I love going to Italian places. Especially if I go to a great one, I like I gotta make some pasta and meatballs. Like I say, you know, I'll experiment every now and then with a fettuccine, bow tie, but mainly it's penne. How about like a a dish like a like a a veal dish? I'm not a veal guy. Uh, but I will tell you this, the, uh, the chicken parm, if you get chicken parm at a great Italian place, it is amazing. I love me some chicken parm. My second mother, Diana, uh, uh, up in Philly, she cooks these chicken cutlets with a great sauce. Shout out Diane Calabrese. Love you, dog. But I go to her house during the summer and she cooks these chicken cutlets. She's the quintessential Italian mother when it comes to cooking. I mean, it's a big deal. Uh, but man, uh, pasta and meatballs, penne is my favorite pasta, but man, shout out to my man Quintus for calling in. It wasn't that something, uh, Tomas Arena. That's, uh, that was, that was unexpected. That was very special. Yeah. And, and very special. So, uh, your law steamer. Hello, uh, over there in Italy. And I'm, we're, we're glad that, uh, that you, you're making a habit of listening to the steam room and it gives you a little link and, uh, so we we appreciate that, and and we hope to keep turning out um, podcasts of this immensely high quality. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate everybody who watches. We hope we can brighten your day 
going back to the lady, I forget where was she from, a man who had PTSD from Minnesota, uh, the lady who had gotten fired, and she said, hey, I started listening to you guys' podcast when I got fired, and thank you all for making me laugh every now and then. It was, it's like calls like that, man. It, it just makes my day. All right. Hey, Chuck, I'll see you at uh, Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport tomorrow. Hey, do me yeah. a favor. We're in the airport. Hey, I know. Don't speak to me in the airport. Don't act like we're together. Uh, yeah, well, we're not palling around. Yeah, when they see us, when they see us palling around at the Orange Julius, that's going to be really fun tomorrow. And we will um, we'll fly up to Indy and uh, we'll be there for the final four. And uh, the steam room will come back as we head down the stretch of the NBA season and into the playoffs. Yes. So um, thanks for tuning in, folks. We appreciate you. Tell your friends about us. And uh, wherever you subscribe to your podcasts, you can subscribe to the steam room featuring Charles Barkley. We'll see you next time, folks. See you, Chuckster.